Today, we are taking a deep dive into the emotional impact and transformative power of failing with clients. We are specifically going to talk through failing during the sales process and how you can learn to tailor your approach by being told no. With each recording, we outline the promise of the episode before filling in our own notes and talking points. And because we find today's promise particularly important, we wanted to peel back the curtain and share it with you. By the end of this episode, you will understand that failing to gain a client is actually a stepping stone to creating a great sales approach. So stick with us because rejection is something that we all have and will continue to experience. But using that rejection for good is the secret to becoming exceptional in what you do. So let's kick it off by diving into where we most commonly experience rejection, which is sales. Hey, it's your travel industry best friends, Robin and Jen from Teat. We're obsessed with practically anything that touches your business and allows you to scale to the level of success that you've always dreamt of. With Robin's background in sales and marketing and Jennifer's experience as a management level HR professional, we grew a small itinerary creation company into a multi-million dollar travel agency. And now we aim to help others skip the hard stuff and get right to the big wins. We're probably each recording this holding a glass of wine. So pour one up with us, grab a seat and join us to talk all things travel and business. There's different points of the process though, depending on your business model. So I think that's our our first tackle, right? Is talking through how failure in closing a client could actually like manifest dependent on your different models. So if you charge a fee, if you don't charge a fee, like it's all going to look slightly different. So it might be that there's a lost opportunity where someone actually just never got to the point of submitting an inquiry because they didn't like a response that you had to something they messaged you about. Or it might be that they had objections during the intake call or they ghost you completely. What are you laughing about? Do you remember we had one client who didn't want to work with us because of Mercury was in retrograde? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it doesn't even necessarily have to be about you, but just to lighten the mood real quick. That is something that has happened to us. I have had that ironically <laughs> twice. I was about to say, I think it's occurred multiple times. Which is <laughs> I was proposing a Morocco trip and the girl was, I need to wait two days because I can't make any big decisions right now. That's a different, that's a different (laughs) response than I've ever had. And she booked, she was just like, you're not supposed to make big financial decisions when Mercury is in retrograde. And I didn't know anything about Mercury in retrograde at that point. And now I have done a lot more research because I didn't realize that the moon could impact our finances so much. So the day that we hired Amanda Wynn, our creative director from LA to work with our team, we all learned a lot more about retrograde and the moon, all of these things. So lunar phases, astrology, all the things. Yeah. So just to put that out there, I always want to mention it. Because that was that was the funniest. That was the funniest. So that could be an objection. Yeah, she turned out like working with us, but yeah. Yeah, that was, that was an interesting objection that I did not have a response to. I was like, okay. You can't overcome that, you know? I can't move the moon, so. <laughs> yeah. Some people, they just need to do it in their own time. It's also important to recognize that as travel advisors, it's highly emotional for us to 
experience rejection because we're so proud of what we do. I think most people that are in travel are not doing it because like, oh, you know, the old ball and chain, my job, they pursued being a travel advisor because they love travel and they love travel advising. So I would say that this industry has a lot more passionate people than most industries. You don't just like stumble and stay into travel accidentally. I mean, I do think people stumble into it accidentally, but I don't think that you stay. You're not as good. You don't have a lack of passion for it. It's a very passion project career for sure. It's kind of like design. It's like websites. It's like branding. It's like a lot of those like services. Like you have to really love it. Yeah. Well, and especially like because most people are operating as their own brand. So they've got that entrepreneurial pride that goes with it. And so if someone rejects you, I don't even want to say rejects you, rejects planning your fee, rejects buying into your service, rejects your proposal, it feels like they are in turn rejecting you as a human. And people say like, it's just business, it's not personal, but to an entrepreneur, like come at me with that. That's nonsense. It doesn't exist when you own your own business, when you've developed your own brand, when you're doing something that you're passionate about, business is highly personal. Well, you're selling you too. Like when I was pushing yeah. like digital marketing or whatever to local businesses in Jacksonville, it's like you would reject me and I'm like, do, 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 whatever, bye. <laughs> now it's like, what about me isn't good enough for you? So I would, yeah, I agree. I think it just hits different. It got to me a little bit in corporate sales, but never the same way it does here where I'm like, oh my, I have to rethink my whole business structure because this person is upset <laughs> about this one thing. So it yes. spins you out more. Jen knows who just asked because she, I always do. I'm like, what about this? But the, I mean, thinking of travel planning, if someone rejects your sales pitch and doesn't want to charge your fee, I do think the natural default thought is, okay, I'm not worth that fee. I should lower my fees. Maybe I shouldn't charge any fees at all. That client wasn't a great fit for my business. Mm -hmm. So obviously it wasn't mutually beneficial. It's very rarely an immediate rational reaction. It's usually some introspective and self-critical reaction, unless you had a bad intake call and then you get almost like defensive and resentful. So I feel like it can go one of two ways. But if it's someone you really wanted to work with and they decline, or maybe even they're committed and they don't like your proposal, like that feels so personal. Because once you're jacked on a trip and you're like, I'm pouring myself into this and I'm creating this beautiful itinerary and someone doesn't like it, it feels like they slapped you across the face. What do you mean you don't like the Royal Monster Hotel? It's objectively beautiful. Like I just feel like people are who they are and their personal style isn't your personal style. And so like sometimes you can't know the ins and outs of their brain, and that's okay. But it does feel like highly personal, especially if you are excited about something. So we're going to talk through that a little bit and how you can shift the mindset to realize that it is not personal just to you, but it's personal to them. And so you have to acknowledge and respect that there's another human on the other end of that. And then we also want to mention that like you are absolutely going to be rejected at some point. I don't think anyone in the history of ever has been in sales and been like batting a thousand. I've nailed every sale from day one. I've never faltered. I've closed at a hundred percent. That's just not a reality. And once you recognize that failure is a redirection instead of a roadblock, it really opens your eyes up to 
being honest that failure is inevitable and a no is a yes to something else. So let's shift then into the growth mindset, which is what Robin's going to elaborate on a little bit. Yeah. So I think the best and honesty only way really to combat rejection is to adopt a growth mindset, not with just like sales, but honestly with everything you do. And basically what a growth mindset is, is when people believe that their most basic abilities can be developed through dedication and hard work and actually cultivating the skills required. I don't think anybody necessarily walks into business great at business for off the bat, unless you studied business in school or you've come from a business background. You don't start off good at most things, especially sales, marketing, all of these facets of our business. Like I started off in my first travel experiences and my first travel quotes were so bleh. Oh my God. First proposals are literally so painful to look at. We did not even send these people travel documents. I don't know how they got to the destination. Like, did they? No, no, because they probably didn't submit a survey because we didn't even have one. Honestly, I just got scammed online. (laughs) Really hard. But again, because growth, progress over perfection. Like we started, we failed, we did things wrong, we did things right. And then you fine tune your process and you, you're you able to make it better. You're able to get better. You're able to see like, hey, yeah, when I mentioned this in the sales call, all of a sudden her eyes lit up and it really resonated with her. I'm going to write that down and include it in other sales calls. It's a trial and error. And yes, there are ways to come into a sales call more prepared so that you aren't just shooting spaghetti at the wall for so long until it finally sticks. Cause that is, that's losing shooting spaghetti at the wall. That's not (laughs) (laughs) barrel. I just imagined like a spaghetti gun, like those cash guns. (laughs) (laughs) But like for real people are like, I don't want to go into sales failing until I succeed, which is why we started Teak. We didn't want people to go into business failing until they succeed. Like we did because we missed out on opportunities. We lost money. There's all that stuff that came with it. But you can prepare yourself and come in better equipped than if you're just shooting blind and not taking everything so personal. It happens to everybody, even the advisors that you most look up to, chances are they've not hit the mark on plenty of proposals in their lifetimes as well, which made them a good advisor. Because I think every time somebody's like, hey, no, this isn't for me. If you dig more or you try to get that information where it's like, why? Because a lot of times it's just like, oh, okay, well, it didn't work out. Bye. I think you need to have like a curious mindset in sales. Mm -hmm. You need to have a lot of curiosity in your heart when you're talking to clients so that you can dissect exactly what it is they're looking for. But if somebody isn't the fit or they don't go with you, what about me wasn't a fit? What do you wish I would have done differently? Like what is giving you pause? Like, is there anything I can personally elaborate on? Or is it something that's an outside factor, like budget, you know, finances, anything like that. Cause again, I don't believe in like waiving fees, just waive fees to get business. But I think you do need to adopt the growth mindset, have that curiosity and just kind of know that sales is, it it evolves over time. Trigger warning. These statements are the kind that make a travel advisor shudder. Are travel agents even still a thing? I booked the best deal at Costco the other day. You know, my friend gave me a recommendation for a hotel and I think we're just going to book that. Any of those sound familiar? We thought they might. That's why we created the Sales Objections Playbook. This free download not only gives you templated responses to the most frequently encountered objections as a travel advisor, 
but also provides a checklist of items to implement so that you trim down on ever hearing them in the first place. We've been there before, and we know that answering the same questions over and over again can wear on you. This free resource was born out of frustration and necessity. Simply copy and paste these scripts into your communication platform and get ready to approach those objections with ease and confidence. Download your free copy from the link in the show notes. As I was preparing for this podcast this morning, I thought about our first Teak website and I actually <laughs> like wanted to bring it up and show you because you. it's so good. <laughs> it's not even bad, but like in comparison to what we have now, like the the life, it looks like another life ago. It doesn't even look like two years ago. It looks like another life ago. It's mind boggling. And I think back to my first website for Exploratory, another lifetime ago, even though it was seven years ago. But I also think about not only the failure of sales that I had. So I've, I can, I think if you don't remember the exact moments that you failed, I think that you are not doing something right. Like I think you need to be aware of when you're like, man, I really bombed that. Mine was a safari proposal. I did not take the time to know anything about this proposal. And I just got on the call and acted as if I knew all about it when they wanted to walk through it. And yeah, I never heard from them again. And it's someone that I knew, which makes it even worse because when it's close, then you're like, oh, that's embarrassing. There's like a community overlap. It was just, it was very uncomfortable. But I also think of the ways that I sold piecing things together and certain suppliers that I'd never work with again because the end result wasn't good. There's so many points of recognizing that you failed as you develop your business that are completely inevitable. Even if I had created a website that was truly reflective of my brand and put the social media out there that it adequately explained what I did and who I wanted to work with. And I was advertising in a place that was perfect for my target audience. And then when I got on the phone, I had this perfectly curated pitch and sales narrative that spoke directly to that person's soul. Even if I had all of that before I ever started a business, I would have still messed up in the proposal phases by with like Bambi legs, trying to figure out how to send the proposal, how to present it in the right way. Now it's a system, right? But no system was ever created without realizing that improvements must be made. That's how EEW was made. That's how our contracts have been tweaked. There are so many moments that are opportunities for failure in our process because really you're either pitching the sale or you're servicing the sale. So there's a lot of the travel planning process that is part of the sales life cycle. And so I just think be honest and reflect on when it just didn't work at all. And don't ignore the wins because it's so easy to be like, yes, I got that. And then move on with the momentum and excitement without reflecting on what went right and applying that to future people. That's very easy. 100%. I mean, like you said, our first website and I'm just I feel like our website is finally in the place where I don't want to tweak it 24-7. And this is mm-hmm. been two and a half years in business. I feel like there's like a certain refinement that always needs to happen with sales, with your offers. What was your biggest sales blooper? I've had a lot. 
I've had a- <laughs> I know, of course you have. Anyone has. I mean, but like, I always think I'm like, at least you traveled to Europe. I don't know what I was doing when I was first booking Italy. At one point, I think I put somebody near the airport and then I stayed by the airport because I had a super early flight out of Rome to Paris in the morning. And I looked around and I was like, no, what am I doing? Like, why did I put people here ever? Or just random things like that where I wish I could go back and be like, that wasn't a fit because I didn't know the destination well enough. There was plenty that I did on like the sales calls. I used to get super uncomfortable when people would ask about fees and commission. Yeah. I truly didn't think I could talk about my commissions. It would just come out of my mouth and be like, just like word vomit. And it didn't sound confident. And so my sales numbers, I don't think were very good. But then once I finally realized this is a reoccurring question. So you sit down and you're like, okay, well, why am I not answering it? Well, I don't have a good answer to this. And formulating a response that changed a lot for me, but there was a lot that went wrong. I wish I could go through the Rolodex because I don't believe that everyone has to start at a lower end product and graduate their clients. However, that was definitely like my journey. I definitely started with a more moderate and realistically like budget client. And I just graduated based off of referrals from there. I don't think everyone has to do that. I think that many people actually have the network to be able to launch right into luxury and a five-star level experience right away. I do think that has to be very intentional. You have to be very aware of what people are looking for when it comes to luxury. There are some that have come on the scene in previous, like in recent years that I'm like, they're nailing it. They knew their target audience. They're speaking to them. Their aesthetics are so in line. You would never go to them for a budget trip because nothing about them reads economical or budget. You know, when you look at this person's, and I have one specifically in my mindset right now, when you look at their marketing, their stories, their website, you're like, I will only go to them when I can afford to work with them. Again, that wasn't my journey. I remember the proposals that I first sent. Okay. So taking this step back, we didn't charge fees. And we didn't know what a DMC was at all. And we didn't have a process. So our intake call didn't have like a flow, first of all. There was no pitch. There was no strategy. It was like, let me get to know what you're looking for. Cool. Any more questions? And they would always ask, so how do you work and what's next? They they were always leading it. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. People keep asking me how this works. I guess I should probably provide that information. So that was a tweak that I made over time just because the frequently asked question kept coming up, like, how do you work? And then it was like, how do you get paid? And I think when you charge a fee, that question falls away because they don't even think about commissions. They're thinking about the payment. I remember that my first pitch was like a really terrible email template And it was like five options per destination hotel-wise. So I'm like way overwhelming them with information. Too many options for sure. And then they would just run away with my time. I would barely ever get them to the point of closing within weeks because it would just be this long, drawn-out process of trying to get them to decide on their restaurant before they would decide on their hotel. Like I just didn't have this rhythm at all. I was trying to lead with so much information, thinking that they're going to see my value and be like, oh my gosh, you know so much. I'm ready to commit now. But 
I was not realizing that I was putting all these roadblocks in my way of getting them to commit by giving them too many options and then piecemealing it together. Like, okay, now we've booked this hotel. Let's move on to this hotel. And it was, it was awful. It was, it was so awful. And then when it came to all inclusives, bless it. I was pulling Vax classic, actually not classic for a long time. We would do Funjet, Vax, Southwest, like those platforms involved. And we would pull the PDF and attach three options. And I think just add like one sentence about the resort and hyperlink their website and send it off and be like, pick one. Yeah. I used to pull a million resorts for people. I thought, you know, like variety is the spice of life. Nope. A confused mind does not buy. So they were like, what is the point of an advisor when you are literally sending me everything I could have found myself and not narrowing down my options at all? Because I was like, oh, they'll think I'm so valuable because I'm sending Mm -hmm. them you know, so many choices. And when in reality, it was, okay, well, actually, you're not advising, you're just throwing me things. And I can technically do that myself. So it's like, then they would see their way out. So it's like, if there was one resort where I was like, it hits all the nails on the head for you, there really isn't a better option. This is it. I would go like, full in on that option for them. But in the case where it's, oh, we're deciding between Antigua and this, this island over here, then I would add some options. But Yeah. I was always like, here's six resorts in Cancun. (laughs) Okay. Well, you narrowed it down from 200. So that's nice, but you're still confusing me. I don't know which is best. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, I do. It was just, it didn't really make sense. Oh my God. I just remembered two traumatizing ones again of people within my network that I'm like, I want to go back and be like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I did this. We're better now. (laughs) (laughs) So one was, this is when I was planning just itineraries and I wasn't booking. They already had their trip booked to Buenos Aires as if I knew anything about Buenos Aires. I didn't even have a supplier in Buenos Aires. So I'm like sourcing information through Pinterest posts and via tour links. And I put it together in Travify and they've paid for my assistance and I just send it to them and I never follow up. I literally just sent them an itinerary and was like, this is what you paid for, nor did I have an inquiry call with them. They literally paid a fee for me to plan by the day. I took the fee. I didn't talk to them. I created a Travify and I sent it to them and I never spoke to them again. That I got some feedback on later. I will be honest. And it wasn't great. And then another one was I had someone come to me and I was totally not an advisor. I was just sourcing by price. And this is where you lose a lot of people, especially if you're starting your career. Mm-hmm. They wanted an all-inclusive. They wanted Mexico because it was a direct flight from Orlando. So I'm sourcing based on budget. I knew nothing about anything. I was just looking at TripAdvisor and praying. And I think I asked some, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed of where they went. I don't even know the name of it. It, it was that bad. And I think that I've seen since in resorts of Riviera Maya, how bad this resort was. And it's someone that I really, really love. This is the one where they had the camel on the beach. Now, <laughs> That was part of my sales because I was basing it off of price instead of being an advisor and saying like, you need to change your budget. Until you're an advisor and evaluating these sites on fans, I don't know. It's easy to price compare. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's easy to just say that price comparison, but it's like at that point, you're, you're Expedia.com with a human face on it. Yeah. So I think 
I think that comes from like traveling and actually experiencing what a five-star resort service looks like compared Mm -hmm. to a three-star and what that money gets you and all of that kind of stuff. I want to go back to your curious mindset mentality comment, because I think that's the biggest difference between someone that's successful and unsuccessful, like in life in general. I think rule of thumb is if you are curious, you will continue to grow personally, professionally, and other. You just are willing to be open-minded about other possibilities. Mm -hmm. And when you're open-minded about other possibilities, you can shift your approach. You can shift how your approach to people, but also how you approach creating a proposal, how you do business altogether, maybe shifting your model completely. Not everyone has to have the same A to Z traditional booking process. And it's okay to be a disruptor. That's actually a differentiator. And if your client wants a different type of experience and you want to work with someone who wants an unconventional experience, then perfect. But I think that this industry is very steeped in tradition. Mm -hmm. And it's something that new advisors struggle with, particularly when they go on FAMS with someone that has a lot of tenure. It's hard to have these conversations to remain curious, especially when someone has been in the industry for a while, maybe they've had a lot of success, or at least they have a lot of longstanding clients. There may not be a need for them to feel like they need to change their process at all. And I think that's a dangerous place to be. And that could happen to a new advisor too. Like if something's working really well, especially right now, if I were to have entered the industry last year and I I were experiencing this massive boom in travel, And people were closing left and right because they're going to travel whether I sell it to them or not. And you can almost, I don't want to say you can't fail, but people are going to travel. And if you put a decent foot forward right now, I think you can do quite well because people are looking for an advisor. They're looking to travel. The amount of spend for travelers right now is just unmatched in history. If I were to have just started, I would have this false sense of security that everything that I was doing was going very well, potentially. I mean, some of the mistakes that we made in the beginning, yeah, that would have still been a setback for us. I do think that it's a slippery slope that for those people that are either very tenured in the industry and have loyal, longstanding fans, Mm -hmm. as well as people that are new in the industry and have achieved rapid success, it can be a trap to stop being curious about how you can tweak your business. And there are some people that I like think of that I'm like, they're so successful and they're always curious about how to tweak their business. And if you're listening to the podcast, we're a little bit preaching to the choir, right? Like you wouldn't be listening to a podcast on developing your business if you weren't curious. So that's just kind of, to me, a gentle reminder as no matter how great your profit margin is, is that you can always be better because the industry will always be evolving. People will be evolving with trends. Stay curious and continue to serve clients in a way that doesn't just suit them, but suits you. And that can always change with the advancement of technology as well. And curiosity doesn't have to feel weird. I think it feels more authentic to stay curious and actually ask your clients for that type of feedback. And we've done it before. Again, we talk about it a lot, but we used to offer websites to our clients and it since became evident to us that we were not able to do them up to our standards in the timeline that we were promising and the budget we were promising. So I think a lot of the time 
we would have a really good client come through branding and they would be like, hey, the website part of our project kind of fell flat. And instead of being like, well, whatever, move on. People are still buying it and it's selling like hotcakes. We did take a second to be like, here's the feedback from the good people. Now, ever some people, they'll just chime in with their stuff and you're like, okay, you weren't a great client from the jump. But Katie Fisher, one of our now employees, was one of those clients where she's like, this kind of fell flat. And I'm like, tell me more, like why? And because I'm like, this isn't the only time we've heard it. And I'm genuinely interested in it. So I'm pretty sure we hopped on a call and chatted through what she thought and how she felt through the process. And it was so eye-opening for me and Jen to sit back and be like, okay, so it's felt sticky for a while. It's feeling sticky to our good people. Do we keep doing it? Do we reevaluate it? Which we did. We tried to tweak the process. It worked for a little while. It went back to not working. We decided to get rid of it, which was scary, but yeah, because we were curious enough to be like, okay, well, tell me more instead of just writing her off. It was good. And I mean, it honestly transformed our business because now we are in a different direction. I don't think yeah. we ever go back to websites ever. We have an awesome affiliate relationship with Tonic who does them better than anybody in the industry. I just think curiosity is the best, the best thing for a business owner to, to have and to cultivate at all times. It's so funny because growing up, were you ever told curiosity killed the cat? Always. And I'm like, we were literally trained not to be curious, not to think differently. Oh God, that's such a thing to reprogram in yourself. Don't think outside the norm. Don't disrupt anything. Don't make waves. And it's, I love right now. I love the current state of the world for, I mean, there. <laughs> that's a big statement, but <laughs> I love the current state of curiosity in the world, I should say, and entrepreneurship and what glass ceilings are being broken and how people are taking accountability for their own lives and shaping it with these very open-minded concepts and thinking differently. And that's one of our values as a company is disruptor because we always want to be thinking differently. I would argue that a lot of the things we do are controversial until you see them work for you and maybe some of the things don't work for you, but it all came out of, let's see if this works. And if it doesn't work, you can always undo something. Like you can you can go back just because yeah. you've tweaked something, changed something, raised a fee, changed your service suite, incorporated Calendly, utilized Loom. Like if something's not working, then listen to that direction. But I love this saying, follow where the life is and whatever is giving your business life, continue to follow that. And when we have resistance to where the life is, like I tried to do a group trip one time. And it was just crickets. And I was like, okay, I was passionate about it. And could I have poured more time, more energy and fostered that niche? Sure. I could have developed that niche, but I didn't want that to be my niche. I just wanted to occasionally do a group trip. Well, that's not how it worked. You have to really develop a plan. You have to have a marketing strategy in place. You have to have people interested in doing group travel. And I wasn't following where the life was when I was marketing that at all. And it just made me realize, all right, this is a massive failure. What can I gain from this? What will I do in future? What will I do again? And that comes from resilience. You have to be resilient in this industry because whether you fail or not, something in the process is going to fail. A transfer is not going to show up. A supplier is not going to get you a proposal on time. You're going to get just told flat out no on your sales pitch. All of that has to be overcome if you want to continue to have a business. I don't think that you can be an entrepreneur and have a thin skin about it, especially with the amount of competition that's come on the scene with 
really bespoke travel advisors. Maybe six years ago, there was this subset where there were these boutique travel advisors that are focusing on experiential travel. And then there was also the subset that was cruises and big box and groups. And they were doing that very well. And so people could pick a path. And it was like, I want cruises, I want groups, or I want highly curated and custom to me. And now there's this massive melting pot. And a lot of advisors are dabbling in both, even if they have a niche. And so there is more competition, not even to mention OTAs and booking directly and all of these things. There's more competition and you have to be resilient to the no's in order to shift and get the yes. And it's what, is it seven to 13 touches before you get a yes, typically from someone anyway. And that could come in any form. That could be a touch point via social. It could be direct. It could be really anything. So I don't know how you handled this. And I I think that everyone handles rejection differently. (laughs) My immediate reaction is crisis management, first of all. Like I go into panic crisis management first and I emotionally process later. And that's how I am with any hardship in my life. It's very weird. It's your HR background for sure, because I have a very emotional reaction and you don't have emotion at first about it. And then you get emotion later once it's do which is a better way to be. I want to blow up. So I need to walk away from my desk for a minute and then get back to it. But yours has always been very formal, like a formal response. Yeah. Very, it's just, it's funny to see the different But I think that's why, I mean, that's also a factor where we balance each other out that I've never really thought about before is more of our reactivity to things. By the time I'm emotional about it, Robin has taken the practical reins. In the beginning, I take the practical reins. That's a good thing, fortunately, because if we were both (laughs) reacting at the same time, that could be really bad. (laughs) We'd be like, what is going on with these people? They're bouncing off the walls. So the point of that actually is and was unintended, but it's that you have to be aware how you handle rejection. Be self-aware. Stay curious about yourself as well. Not just like what's working, but also like how you handle certain things. By being self-aware, you can pinpoint what you can do in those moments that is productive. And I don't mean productive in the sense of this has to be moving the needle forward. For you, Robin, if you're reactive in that moment, you know that what is productive is for you to step away and regain composure and approach that specific trigger at a later time where you can apply rationale to it. To me, I know that I have to handle it. And honestly, that's where I love email scheduling because I handle it and it's out of my brain, but it's not necessarily even gotten to the client yet. But I have to know that I've formulated a response if it's via email, or I have to get on the phone immediately because I can't handle the lingering of something. That's what really, really kills me is like the unknown. So I think when someone responds to a proposal and they're very ambiguous or iffy about it, I need to redirect immediately, articulate my point, get that across because the unknown to me is very mentally unhealthy. Pending a feedback phone call that's like the seventh layer of hell for me. Like if someone's like, I want to get on a phone call and I'd love to talk through the itinerary after they return. And I know that they had some, even if I didn't know, actually, it could have gone swimmingly. 
my mind immediately goes to like, ah, oh, something went wrong. If they have to get on the phone call to talk through it, something went wrong. So be self-aware, but also put things in place that allow you to rebound from that. I put in place that I schedule things. I also reread it. Sometimes I get extra eyes on it because that's just how I am. And I have to do what works for me when it comes to rejection and rebounding from rejection. I have to think through why someone is not a fit. I've told this story a million times on this podcast, but like the situation where someone was between cruise and land and they were just flat out abrupt about like, you really flopped on the cruise proposal because I was honest about, I just don't do cruises. To me, I'm like, okay, well, let's be honest. Did I want to plan a cruise? I didn't because I'm not good at it and I'm not going to be the best fit for them. And even if you want to do something, that doesn't mean in all vulnerability, you are the best choice for the scenario that they're seeking. So you have two choices at that juncture. Become really great so that you can handle it in the future if you want to handle those types of trips or scenarios. Or you become more aware of it earlier on in the process and you cut it out before you can get to the point of failure because it's just not worth your time. I don't think defensiveness is the answer. That's to me, defensiveness is ever the answer. You can do it in your head. You can be mad. You can be hurt. But being defensive to a client is never going to give you a a good result. That's never going to, they're never going to be like, you're right. (laughs) That reaction was totally warranted. I'm glad you were aggressive and annoyed with me. (laughs) You know, like giving me this opportunity of growth. (laughs) You imagine. <laughs> to self reflect. I'm so grateful. So, you do have to put in techniques that work for you. I don't think that technique is the same for everyone. No, it's definitely not. Because, again, my first re- response is to walk away and not think about it for a minute and then come back and I have to sit down and be like, is this personal? If I'm in this person's shoes, would I feel the same way? And chances are, I typically would. A lot of what our especially right now, like travel, it might've been different, but for our business at the moment, it's a lot of issues with the process or something like that, or, or like a lack of communication. Like there was a communication gap in the very beginning. So then expectations weren't met. And it's like, well, if I had this thought about my project, I just invested this much money with a company and then this happened, how would I feel bad? So mm-hmm. that is super important, especially to me. Cause like, I think you need to treat people like people, people, are innately good in my mind. Like there's nobody out there, I think, who wants to work with you, who's bad, who's coming at you with malice intent. I mean, I've had some people where I'm like, I, I think you're out to get me. I've truly ruined my life a little bit, but it's never about me. It's about something that went wrong with the process. And that's, that's not a me thing. That's something I can fix. But then, yeah, like Jen said, her response is different. To get it out of her brain, she needs to formulate a response and then emotionally process, which is like another healthy way to do it. So I think that comes with self-reflection and being able to seek feedback or being open to different personalities, different different ways of doing things. I think just not being so closed off and not really accepting anyone else's feedback or thoughts or handling rejection. Like if you just reject rejection, I think you're going to be in a very weird place with your business where you just get to a point where you're resenting every client that walks through the door. And that's just not good. It's so interesting that you mentioned resentment because I was talking about, I was talking with someone who wanted to refer out a trip 
It wasn't their area of specialty. And we were just talking and I was like, I love this advisor because, and I was talking through their personality profile, not their niche, which is interesting, right? Like I knew they could do the trip well, one, because they have the connections. Yes, they've been to that destination. Is it their specialty? Maybe not 100% their specialty, but they were knowledgeable enough to find the right resources. And I think that's the new age of advisors. Are you knowledgeable enough and curious enough to learn about in a way that you know you can do it very well. So that's not why, though, I said that XYZ is a great fit for this trip. I said, you know what I love about her is that she is never resentful of clients and she always stays enthusiastic about every lead. We say it all the time. People join people. In fact, you have almost a 50% higher chance of closing a sale when you use storytelling to connect with a potential client to exemplify your value. That means that you can actually cut your sales efforts in half if you're leveraging your why to make meaningful relationships with prospects. But there might be a problem. Maybe you haven't honed in on who you are targeting as your ideal audience. More than that, maybe you've been selling strictly on knowledge and skipping the bonding stage, which humanizes you and creates trust with that prospective client. Lastly, maybe your travel advisor training focused on systems and products over prioritizing people. If this hits the nail on the head for you, we have a special treat. Here's a hint. It's free, it's live, and it is all about you. Yes, you. On August 7th at 2 p.m. Eastern, Teak is hosting a free creating your irresistible sales pitch workshop. If you can't make it, don't worry. Anyone who is registered will get a recording to listen to at their convenience. But don't wait. And we really want to see you there. So don't miss it. Head on over to the show notes to snag your spot at our creating your irresistible sales pitch workshop today. See you soon. It's so easy for us to become resentful of increase. <laughs> like it's so strange. And I get it because we're tired, especially in the summer. People are beaten down by feedback and they're tired and they don't want to handle those objections time after time. And they assume that the next person they get on the phone is going to be another fight to get into the ring. And I've never thought that about this advisor. Like she embraces every lead opportunity with enthusiasm and excitement. And that's so interesting. And when we were talking about staying curious to tweak your process, this person is like a perfect example that she has an amazing process. I've seen it. I know it. But she's always looking to better the process and get feedback from other people. And she stays curious constantly, even though she has a solid book of business. She's working with her dream clients. And she has exceptional branding and she's very self-aware of who she is and what she wants to sell. Like she knows her target audience. And so she just has been able to stay very resilient during the past couple of years. And I think that's a testament to someone's character and their overall energy and how they choose to see rejection as a whole. And I don't know if that's learned, but I do think it can be developed I think the innate characteristic about her is what led her to that. But I do think that you can listen and become self-aware and adopt those changes if you've gotten to the point of self-awareness. But has anyone ever said that self-work comes easily? (laughs) No, self-work is the hardest work to do. But I think like you said, there is some, you know, that's part of your personality. That's part of your upbringing, all of that, that can't really change. 
But I think a lot of that is putting yourself in the room with people who are similar. There are people in this industry Mm -hmm. who are like, no change, kind of negative about everything. Everything. But then there's those other people who are like, I tried this and it, it was a big swing and a miss, but here's why and what I learned. And they're so eager. I think that's why I love niche so much. People are so eager to share what's working and what's not. And everybody in that community is just this really awesome pool of support for for other advisors. So I agree. I think you're right. Like to an extent that is a part of who you are, but to the other point, it's surrounding yourself, especially if you're like hanging out by yourself and you're an independent IC and you're totally remote, you're not near a team or you don't even have a team. I mean, it's so easy to just kind of fall into this slump almost and putting Mm -hmm. yourself and making sure you're networking with other advisors who you look up to and who have businesses that you would like to aspire to be at is so powerful for your mindset. It's so powerful for your business. There's so many things that it, it helps in the bottom line. So if you are where you're like, I want to be around those people. I do recommend checking out Niche. I, that's a selfless plug right there because I mean, the whole point of the platform is us sharing the bigs, the wins, the lows, the bad things that happen and how we can overcome them together as, as a community of really powerful travel advisors. So shameless plug. And I want to say, if you're feeling resentful, evaluate that too. Why did you get there? Because it's probably that you're working with the wrong client. Yeah. Or you're not feeling like you're compensated for your efforts. Like those are the two things. Like you're working with the clients that are draining you. And two, you don't feel adequately compensated by those that you've chosen to work with. So if you're looking for an episode on that, number 32, why you're not landing the right clients, definitely check that out. But I would say sit in that for a minute. Sit in the discomfort of realizing that you're not working with the right clients and get other perspectives on your website, your messaging, keep it an open-ended conversation and shoot it over to colleagues in the industry and say, if you didn't know me, what would you say I booked or what my niche would be or what my target audience would be by looking at my marketing and my website? Mm -hmm. And when we remove ourselves from the situation, you get very honest answers. And I would argue that a lot of people might think that they're branding looks more luxury than it is. And you know you book luxury. Like you know you're booking five-star only, but maybe it's been a few years since you've updated your brand and you've become nostalgic and emotional about it. And your brand hasn't evolved to the current definition of what someone who wants a five-star experience to be. That can be a hard realization. And we're just throwing it out there because we do see it time and time again. And it's why we are so passionate about branding is because It's like a psychological matchmaking to your dream client. And so if you are feeling that you're misaligned with your target audience, there can be multiple areas that you can evaluate to get in front of those target clients, your target audience, and tweak your messaging, tweak your aesthetic, tweak your service suite, your pricing, tweak your niche, whatever bucket it falls in. I would say if you're not getting the right client, you need to evaluate all of those buckets. If you don't need to tweak all of them, evaluate all of them, tweak things at a time. I think sometimes it's complete overhaul. And again, we're guilty. I am guilty of this where it's like, let's throw it all away and start over. And it's like, well, then we didn't even know what was working because the chances are there's things working in your business. So when you tweak everything all at once, all of a sudden, number one, you're overwhelmed. That's a lot of things to be doing at one time. 
But number two, you're not able to actually figure out that root cause. Is it my branding? Was it my website? Was it my website copy? Was it the images on my website? Does that make a difference? And I say that to say that to myself as well, because it's something I need to constantly remind myself of. And you could change words without changing the aesthetics of a website. You don't even have to change something. You could add additional educational points, documents, things like that, that allow for empower your potential leads to know more about you before entering into your sphere and taking up your time. I think that roadblocks and hurdles for clients are good. Mm -hmm. It means that people are willing to go through those hurdles to get to your value and that they recognize the value in getting through them. And I learned that from recruitment, actually, when I was in HR is what they told us to do when I was working like more at a headhunter firm was talk someone into the job and then talk them out of it. And if they stick, they probably are going to follow through to the interview and nail it. And if you can talk them out of it easily, then they weren't meant to be there in the first place. So like, don't be afraid to talk someone out of it and then use that rejection as a catalyst to understand why they self-selected out of your process and how they got there in the first place. And then that may be the trigger point that you have to evaluate is how did this person get all the way to here and then they reject me? What did they not know or what did I do differently that wasn't aligned with what their expectations were? And if you're hearing that and you're like, why would I ever talk somebody out of my process? It's way easier to lose a client in the very beginning than it is once it comes down to you wasting time. I'd rather them opt out before an intake call or right after an intake call than I would when it gets down to like actually pushing out a proposal or something like that. It saves you in the end. It stings in the beginning. And I'm never going to say that it doesn't sting, but it does work out. It always works out. It always works out. Whether you recognize it or not, there's that Chinese proverb. And I I swear I go back to this one. I I feel like I'm a one-trick pony with my stories lately. I'm on rinse and repeat for every story. But there's that Chinese proverb that's, this happened. Is it good or bad? I don't know yet. Then this happened because of that. Is it good or bad? I don't know yet. And it's COVID happened. Is it good or bad? I don't know yet. Well, Teak was created. Mm -hmm. And then we feel like we're stumbling across websites Is it good or bad? I don't know yet. We remove websites and we get clear on our messaging. And then, you know, it it goes into the next thing. So it's all of these very heavy decisions or obstacles or failures. You could chalk COVID loss up to a big failure on a lot of accounts. But is it good or bad? Adjusting your approach, being resilient and open to that, whether it be direct or indirect feedback is the only way that you're going to continue to grow your business and thrive and then serve your client well enough for them to become raving fans. And that's the end goal. So yeah. That was like church. Thank you for joining another Teak Talks episode. If you're loving our content, we would love and appreciate your support and feedback. So head on over to Apple Podcast, hit subscribe so you never miss when a new episode drops. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. We're sending you a long distance cheers because you just finished another episode of Teak Talk. If you loved what you heard, hit subscribe and head over to the show notes for any resources and a summary of this episode. In the meantime, if you want more access to us, we are personally inviting you to join our Niche by Teak community where we host live events, answer your questions, share destination masterclasses, and give you a front row seat to all the resources that we launch throughout the year. Plus, what's better than being surrounded by like-minded advisors that are hyping you up to succeed each day? 
we think nothing. Head over to www.teakhq.com backslash niche to join the community today.